Welcome to Real Talk, Real Women Breaking the Silence Around Abuse. I am Gemma Serenity Gorokov, your host, and today we are going to continue our interview with Regina LaFrance. Regina was published a couple of weeks ago, four or five episodes ago. So you can just scroll down and find her first episode. Her first episode is all about the technique of self-love she used to draw herself out of that despair unto feeling self-loved, unto coming out of her closet, unto being able to not only write her book, but also publish it and embrace the stories that happened to her when she was 10 years old. Welcome, Regina. Thank you for coming back on the show. Thank you, Gemma. Thank you for having me back. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. So, Regina, you have written and published a book that is called Shaila. Shaila is not your name. It's a fictional character. However, you lended to her some big traumatic part of your own story. That information, we missed it in the first interview. And today we come back to actually complete it and continue our interview because you have much more to reveal than in our first interview. What part of your story did you lend to Shaila in that book? What happened? I had a flashback in 2015 about um, one of my clients that told me her little girl didn't want to go to summer uh, camp. And the little girl was probably around 10, 11, 12 years old. And when I heard that, I immediately became in a panic and my hands were sweaty and my heart was pounding. And I was so afraid for that little girl that didn't want to go to summer camp that year because I felt that when I want, I didn't want to go to music lessons when I was that age, that maybe that little girl was experiencing or had experienced some trauma the summer before. So that, that at that time in 2015, I wrote down what I could remember from what had happened to me many, many years ago, um, since, um, I was 10 and I lived in the island and I wanted to write a book then, but I wasn't prepared and I didn't really want anyone to know. And I was still shameful and, and confused about what had happened. So I didn't really do anything with it. I wrote about 8,000 words and then I put it away. And about two and a half years ago, almost three years ago, I went looking for that old laptop and I pulled that old document report that I had done in 2015. And I read it to one of my friends who was a book editor. And she told me, you have to start today. The world needs to know what happened to you and you need to free yourself. So I began to write. It was a shock to everyone, including my husband, that I was gonna write a book. I remember telling um, my neighbor, who's a dear friend, 
that I was going to write a book. I was going to start. And she, having been an English teacher, she just said, okay, well, I, I like to read it. And um, now, almost three years later, we are um, just about published. And my story is sad and dark. But I also, the second part of my book is also very inspiring and very uplifting to possibly teach and show other people that have suffered tremendous trauma when they were young that they also can achieve the emotional freedom that I have achieved. Totally. Thank you for sharing that, Regina. So what part of your story that is dark and that is horrific did you lend to Shaila for that book? When, when I was very young, um, as far as I can remember, between six and uh, nine years old, I was very happy. And I had a wonderful relationship with my father and my mother too, but I always liked being outside. So my father was very old fashioned. He was a hard worker and he always told me to be a good girl, always. I was always very curious and wanted to learn everything. And he always kept a close eye on me because I like to climb trees and um, do my own thing. So when I was nine, my parents decided that me learning music lessons, uh, I'm sorry, learning music would be a wonderful thing to keep my mind occupied and because I love to learn. The first few times that I went to the music lessons, the local priest who was the person in charge of teaching me, he started um, touching me on, on my leg and um, my upper chest area. I didn't really have any breasts at the time, but he used to squeeze my area and my breast area. And then he started to touch me more so in my upper thigh area and asking me if I had hair there. And then he began to pull me close to him and uh, different times, different week, a little um, after the first time or the second time, he would put my hand on top of his pants in his private area. And then he began to um, open his zipper and put my hand in his private area and um, pulling me tight to him and um, he went as far as um, forcing my face and onto his private and then one day he forced my 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 face and my mouth onto him and um, it was um, the sides of my mouth uh, ripped here on both sides and I was bleeding. I ran home after that and uh, the next morning when I woke up, I had blood on both sides. And um, from there on, I was convinced that I didn't never wanted to go back. But I cried out to my mother not to let me go. And, and she said I had to go. She said it was good for me to learn. And she said that my father would be very proud to see me play an instrument and sing in a choir. But I never wanted to go anymore. I know it was wrong. 
but I also wanted to be a good girl and I didn't want my father to be disappointed. So I kept going. And um, a lot of times I would hide in the woods and I wouldn't go. And then one day I fell asleep in the woods and the priest came to the house looking for me. And um, when I went home, it was almost dark because I had fallen asleep in my hidden spot. And they both, the priest and my father, asked me where I had been, but I never said anything. I just ran and went to the room, never told my father what had happened. So in my, in my book, I write a spiritual letter to my father, and in that letter, I tell him everything. I tell him why I was late, and I tell him why I didn't want to go, and I tell him that... Um, I'm very sorry that I became a very rebellious teenager and I didn't obey the rules anymore. But the worst part was when uh, school ended and summer vacation started and the priest came to the house and he asked my parents if, I, if they would let me go to his house to help his elderly mother with house chores. And that wasn't uncommon at the time there that the village people would help each other. And I remember um, the year before I had gone to another island for a couple of weeks to stay with my aunt that was elderly and my mother let me stay there with her. So it wasn't an uncommon. My parents didn't do anything that was uncommon. And uh, my father said I had to go to go help her. So that very night he kept me in his room and then when the night set in, I don't even know if his mother knew I was there. I just sat there. And then that very night, he took me to the patio area and he began to um, um, beat me, slap me, pulled me by my hair, ripped a piece of my dress. And um, there was a stone table under the, in the patio area under the grapevines, and he pulled me either by my hair, my arm maybe, and put me on the table, and um, he began to violate me sexually. And I remember closing my eyes and playing a slideshow behind my eyes of me being on the farm with my father, running through the field and pretending that I was picking flowers from my mother's table and um, I remember opening my eyes and feeling the pain and knowing that I wasn't dead because I really thought I was going to die that day. I was only 10, but I was very smart and I was very savvy. I knew all about death and obviously I know what it's like to hurt. <laughs> so um, he violated me badly on that day and I was bleeding. He had his hand, his fingers in my mouth, and um, he was raping me, and I was in so much pain and shock that I, I don't know that I um, that I was going to live through that. It was so sad. So when he was done, um, he just pulled his pants up and lit a cigarette and walked away. At that time, 
his elderly mother um, came out with a towel and she helped me inside and she cared for me. And she told me that to be okay, that that would never happen again. She assured me it would never, never happen again. I don't know if she was afraid of him or just like um, maybe keep keep the the secret in the family, keep the not to shame her own family. She didn't want anyone to know either. Just like if it was my family, they probably would never tell anyone not to shame the family. I really believe that's how it was back then. So a few weeks later, I was outside and I was vomiting outside and um, she came out and she said, what's going on? And I said, I didn't feel good. And then a few days after every day I was sick and throwing up and she suspected that I could be pregnant. So she sent me to um, someone's house. She told me where to go with a note that said, um, come to the house to the lady. So the lady came to the house and they, both of them put me on the kitchen table and they inserted something really cold and big inside of me. And I remember looking down and she had it. She had like a wire, a coat hanger wire and she was poking at me. But I, I just lay there and went with with whatever and um that very night the lady said to her after the lady said um i broke her water now you have to wait so i had no idea what that was supposed to mean but i remember it later on in life i asked somebody what that was what that's supposed to mean so um that very night he told me to go in the car and I went in the car and I thought he was going to take me home and his mother gave me a box, a small box, a small wooden box. And um, she said, take this with you. So he took me to the cemetery and when we got there, I knew exactly where the cemetery shed was. So he told me to go in there and get the shovel and dig a hole. And when I did that, I had a lot of pain. He told me to put the box in the hole. And then he told me to squat over it and push. Because I was hurting. And then after that, I cried a lot. And, and he, um, he told me to cover up. And at that point... I told him I hated him and he came over and he slapped me hard. I remember smelling the dirt. And when he slapped me, I fell on the edge of the shovel and I got myself right here. I still have the scar there. And for so many years, I wanted to hide that scar. I hated my face because it's a constant reminder of what happened there that day. And then uh, I covered the hole and went and put the shovel back. And I was in pain and I was so sad. Went back to the house. And then his mother 
cared for me. She was really sweet and very kind. And maybe a week or two later, I don't remember, she said I was okay. She said that I could go home and that I would be okay. And she told me that would never, never, never happen again. She promised me. And that day when he drove me home, he said that it all had been a dream, a very bad dream. And then he said that I would never have a bad dream again. So he he took me to home and my parents were glad. And uh, my father asked if I was a good girl and he said I was a really good girl and that, and that um, he, I really had helped his mother and that she was really happy that I went for the summer. So from that time on, I I just didn't like anything else. I didn't like anything. I didn't really obey the house rules. I didn't love anything. I was so sad all the time. And I started to feel that I didn't belong and I didn't want to do anything. I still finished high school, of course. I started high school and he was the professor for history and Portuguese at the high school. Maybe not the first couple of years, I believe it was like the fourth and fifth year of high school. And I never did any of the work for the class and he always passed me. But at that time, I, I just didn't have any respect for me or any respect for anyone. I never wanted to really shine so it's amazing that I made it through high school with passing grades. It was only from attending class. I never did homework. I never studied. And um, uh, before I finished high school, when I was 13, my father consulted with him on what he recommended he um, do with me because I just didn't have any uh, joy. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to go to church or help my mother in the kitchen or nothing. And the priest recommended that he would send me abroad. He gave my father money and my father took a trip to Canada with me. And um, his hope was that he would leave me there, that he would find a family to sponsor me and and adapt, adopt me or something. I'm not sure how they do that, but I was in Canada with my father for three weeks and I was only 13 years old, but he didn't find a family to, to sponsor me to stay. So we went back home and I never talked to my father again and he never talked to me. He, he didn't like my, my behaviors. Like I didn't, obey the house rules, I didn't want to go to church, I was out late, that kind of thing. I remember one time that I came home, and, and late wasn't like late two in the morning, late would be like after dark, but we had a curfew that we had to be home before dark. I came home and the doors locked, and um, I don't remember if I slept outside or if my mother came and opened the door, I can't remember, but I do remember the door being locked. It was just my father showing me that I couldn't just come and go as I pleased. I get that. And then when I was 18 years old, I had a, an opportunity to come to the United States. So when I was 18, I left and I never looked back. 
I knew someone that lived in Massachusetts and I wrote them a letter and I told them I wanted to come. So I had the opportunity. So I went and ended up living in Boston, in the Boston area for 37 years. I learned the language. I um, got my GED. I went to college and um, I always had good jobs and um, I always did well for myself. I always really good jobs. And um, I, I had a good life. I'm not gonna say that I didn't have a good life. I never got in trouble with the law and I never really um, did anything considered to be bad, bad. But in my mind and my own self-esteem and my own being, I was always sad, depressed, looking for love in the wrong places, uh, wanting to belong. Um, I wanted everyone to love me and like me. So I always went above and beyond to, to, to have friends and that kind of thing. But I never loved myself. I always considered myself ugly and um, stupid. And I never really had any self-respect until the last couple of years, I'd say the last three years, I began to manifest. I learned the power of positive thinking. And I started associating myself with people that I met along the way that thought that I was great. <laughs> and I started believing them. I started believing the people that told me that I was wonderful, that I was smart, that I was funny. And I began to take a different approach with me. I began to believe that maybe they are right. Maybe I am wonderful. And I began to read. And um, I wrote um, Shayla the first year. And I began to let out that burden and that secret. And then in 2021, I think, about two years ago, I learned the, the technique of self-love and letting go and forgiveness and forgiveness for myself, for having been so difficult on myself. And I forgive myself for not having had the knowledge to love who I was. I was always a kind person, but I wasn't kind for myself because I didn't believe that I was worthy of I began to listen to positive tapes and read positive books and the book, The Secret. I watched that documentary over and over again. And then I met my mentor and one and only Tani from LA and she began to mentor me on how I could make my dreams come true and how I can just think positive and how I, everything that I desire, it's there available for me. So I began to believe that I am going to be successful. My first mission was to create awareness to keep children safe. And that continues to be my number one. But then I have a number two mission, which is equally as important, which is to deliver this information that I have, how I discovered self-love and how I 
created a imaginary bubble around me where I only allow love and positivity. And if something is negative or if someone is negative, they can be around me. I'm never rude or mean or anything to anybody, but I'm very kind to myself. And I only welcome in what is positive and what is love that I trust. And all the years that I didn't have love for myself, now I look back and love was always there. I just didn't know how to embrace it. And I, I have this little picture here that I brought to show you. So this is me when I was six. And when I began writing my book, I put this picture on my desk in front of the computer. And I kept looking at her and I said, I am going to have justice for the little girl inside. And I began to nurture that little girl inside of me. And um, in the movie um, trailer for my book, I go, um, I run through the woods and I go to this, the scene of the crime and I rescue myself. The little girl that is still there hurting at the cemetery with blood coming down from her lip from the, the cut on the shovel. And then we came out, I grabbed her and we came out and a bunch of children come along because it represents all the children that have been hurt. And then we sing, we celebrate our freedom. Regina, that is quite a story. Thank you for having held yourself together. Mm -hmm. Run us through your story. Honestly, that is the most horrific story I have ever heard. And I heard 1,200 stories so far. It's the most horrific of all. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for giving back hope and a direction for those who are hurting. First of all, by not forcing children who do not want to go to extracurricular activities yes. because it might actually be, it might, might not, we don't know because they won't tell you, but it might actually be something way worse than we could even imagine. I am deeply sorry for what happened to the little girl in you. <laughs> It's, it's, it's despicable. And I'm so grateful that you found your way back to love, forgiveness, freedom, life, to the point of being able to share those key lessons that you learned through awful situations. My intention for the next episode, right after this one, is to share a three hours long, I'm not going to make it three hours, I promise, 20 minutes is enough, a three hours long conversation I got with the spiritual beings who answered back and forth to me because I was contemplating your story, Regina, and I couldn't take it off my head 
and I was asking the question that is also the title of the book of another of my guest speakers, and it is, where is the one we call God? Because in that kind of case, why that can happen? Especially when we are taught that God is love and that everything is possible and that we are living in a limitless universe and all of that. How can that happen? It cannot in my world. But factually, it did happen too many times to count. And you told me another time when we were talking that many people came back to you and told you, yeah, I have the same experience. Yes. And um, we cannot stop bad people from destroying our young children. What we can do is create awareness for people in charge of either caring for children or raising children. It could be a daycare or a school or a parent or a grandparent or whoever is in charge of um, watching for that child. If something is going on, that child is going to let someone know. We have to be very aware because children are not going to speak verbally. And if we ask a child a question, if they don't say anything, we need to pay attention right away what's happening because the children will not speak, especially if they told that they're either bad or, or that they, they're going to do something to them or the parents or whatnot. So if my when my mother asked me why I didn't want to go to music lessons, I told her I didn't want to go. If she was aware, just like I want to create awareness, she would have known instinctively that something was going on. But she wasn't open to think that way. She would never, ever believe that someone could hurt her child. It is not even imaginable. What happened to you is not even imaginable. It made me very hard. And the picture behind me, it was the, the picture that I wanted for my book cover. It tells Actually, you Originally, I started out with a picture of me without a mouth. And then I softened up for a picture of me with a rose with over my mouth. And now it's going to be a totally different cover. When I designed that cover, I was very raw still and very um, shameful and angry. But now that I've done my homework and I've been surrounded with love and I have surrounded myself with love, my cover is going to be so, well, it is much more beautiful and um, gentle. <laughs> and this one here just going to be filed as the original cover when I was very raw in a place of, I believed I didn't have a voice. But it's not like that anymore. And that's my, that's my second journey which is equally as the first they they two journeys in one i want to reach out to anyone that had trauma which 
trauma in in my opinion it could be sexually physically emotionally it doesn't really my story is bad but i'm not saying my story is worse than the next person it's just different mine is different because the horror that went through was bad because it's so different but i'm i know other women at the very young age as well that went through so much pain so when we suffer trauma as a young lady or a young man or child the results are I, I, i'm not i'm not sure if the results are the same i'm not going to say they're the same but i believe trauma to the brain at a young age or as a young lady or as a young man the results are similar with all the stories that I have heard, any sort of trauma or abuse from the most quote-unquote acceptable, even though it's not, to the most unimaginable like yours, always leave scars in yeah. the behavior, in the self-love, in the self-worth, in the behavior with other people in society, at work, in relationships, somewhere. There is a part that is screaming out loud the trauma, whatever it is. That's what I have noticed many times over with all my guest speakers who come once they are healed to tell their stories of what happened and from what they did heal. Yes. All right. Regina, thank you again for coming back. Thank you for opening up more, allowing yourself to be known, to be recognized, to be loved. Everybody loves you and everybody's sorry for you for what happened. Thank you. At the same time, we are all inspired to see you lightening up. Yes. with love, positivity, self-empowerment, and all kind of beautiful things that you surrounded you yourself with Yes, just a few years ago. But that has already transformed your life so much yes. that you are now ready to go meet people where they are. Yes, and I want to send the message to anyone that is suffering from trauma to remember that it all starts within us. We have to start believing that we are loved by our by us, self for self. Um, excuse me, love for self. And when you start believing that, grab any book, any video, anything that you can grab that is positive to affirm you of how wonderful you are and how worthy of love you are. And then eventually your brain starts to believe that new, it's like a learning a new language. And eventually you'll get there. And when you get there, I want you to feel the way that I feel now because I know it wasn't my fault. Yes, indeed, it was not your fault at all. You were not responsible for that. Thank you. Thank you, Regina, for coming back. Thank you.